So I've had grace come up a few times on the show as a, as a value that people choose. And every time it's a, it's always a super interesting discussion. It's just such an interesting concept and such an important one. And in this conversation, it, it was no different, right? And there's just a couple thoughts and quotes that came from, from Dakota, my guest about it. You know, he, he thought of grace as giving people permission to be human. And, and the beauty of grace is that it provides people the opportunity to have dignity regardless of their circumstances. And for me, like insights like that, that's what makes all the time I spend doing this podcast worthwhile. The opportunity to take a concept like grace that we all know and hear about and see it thrown around all the time, but actually force ourselves to stop and reflect and think about what does it actually mean, right? To challenge ourselves to say, why, why is it actually so important? And, and why is it so hard for people to practice? That's what it's all about for me, these types of conversations. And, and Dakota, my guest, who's a, who's a professor, um, and a founding member of, of the Darut Consulting Cooperative, where he, he focuses right on these types of topics of grace and how it can be used to create and sustain organizations that help ensure Black people have that opportunity to, to, to be human and to have dignity and self-determined well-being. Um, he had such an interesting, thoughtful perspective on the topic. And we hit so many different areas and explored it from so many different angles. But what we started to realize was that grace is really a bit of a numbers game. Right. And that sounds kind of cold to say, but it's true. Often people that are worried about exhibiting graces because they think it's too scary. They think they might get burned or end up worse off. And, and the truth is they very well might. But what Dakota explained is that if we take more of a long term kind of portfolio view, we're net better off as a society if we exhibit more grace. We may lose some battles in, 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 the, in the short run or, or one offs, but overall we're better off. So the challenge becomes, and we talked a lot about this, like how do you change the conditions and the systems that exist to allow people to realize the long-term benefits of grace? So, you know, really, really interesting discussion. And it got to this human nature discussion of like, we're almost not really coded to exhibit grace. It's, it's almost an evolution of our minds and, and, our, and our approach to life to, to try and buy into it more. So it might be unrealistic to expect people to just flip a switch and, and turn on grace, right? At scale. So philosophically, that becomes really interesting because it suggests like, do we need to push people towards it? Do we need to influence them even if they don't necessarily want it and they don't believe in it? And that opens up a whole nother set of questions of anytime you influence or push somebody towards something you think is right, it creates an opportunity for an abuse of power and all other things. So, I mean, just so many like deep, rich insights and philosophical concepts that we explored in this conversation. I, I really, really did enjoy it. And thank Dakota so much for, for being a guest and, and kicking around these topics and these concepts with me and making it real, right? Applying it to things like housing insecurity and homelessness, to the prison system, to even looking backwards towards reconstruction and abolition. Um, it just made it a really, really insightful conversation. So I hope you guys enjoy it as much as I did. All right, Dakota, thanks so much for being on. Very excited to talk to you today um, and excited for the conversation. So let's jump right into it. And I'll ask, what's the value that's most important to you? Uh, first, thank you for uh, inviting me onto the podcast. I, I really appreciate it um, and love the, the topic and focus of this podcast. So um, the value that resonates in this kind of most important to me is grace. Hmm. Um, it's something that I think a lot about and try to use as a word and as a practice of being uh, gracious, graceful, moving with grace is something that is um, treating people with grace is something that I aspire to. Um, sometimes I don't live up to it. And I think as human beings, oftentimes we 
fail, um, to be gracious, uh, to be graceful and to live and treat people with grace. And so I think that that's one thing that I kind of always come back to, um, to try to think about like, how can I treat people with grace and how can I treat myself with grace? So that, like that's that. the, that's the value that came to mind for me. I like that a lot. Let, let me ask you just to, to dig in on it a little bit, to, to describe it a little bit further of what treating yourself or treating somebody else with grace would look like. I know you mentioned gratitude is maybe a, a, a component of it, but how would you define treating somebody or maybe an example of treating somebody with grace? What does that look like? Yeah, I think it's, um, it's kind of having and moving with a spirit of kind of like compassion, um, being willing to forgive. Mm. I think it encompasses like a network of different kinds of ideas. So being willing to forgive, um, having compassion for people, empathy, I think falls within grace. Um, and almost kind of like a permission to giving people permission to be human um, and giving one of the reasons I like this value is that it, it applies equally to, you know, me too, right? Yeah, like giving yeah. myself permission to be human um, and all of the things that, that come along with, you know, trying to really treat people as though they're human, knowing that, you know, we all have flaws and faults and also knowing that like, we have talents and gifts and assets, so we should be gracious and with praise too when when need be, right? And uh, so I think all of those kind of things. I think that the grace to me feels like the opposite or counterbalance of um, jealousy, judgment, judgment, yeah, um, mean spirited, you know, being mean spiritedness. That that those sorts of things are what I think of as kind of the opposite. Um, and I mean, just in terms of like everyday practices, like grace is, you know, having, I mean, it's, it's a number of different examples, but I think about, you know, for example, if I encounter someone who has housing insecurity or homelessness and they're asking me for, you know, money or resources mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And a lot of people, it's easy to judge, like, and ask questions about why they here. Mm -hmm what got them here and, you know, I guess those are okay and mm -hmm. legitimate questions, but to operate in grace is to understand that like, this is where they are. Mm. This is who they are in this moment right now. Um, and then the, then the next question is, is what do I do? How do I treat this person in this moment right now? Mm. Um, so I feel like those are the kind of like little small micro things. But then I also think that like grace can be this big idea too, right? Um, people at the beginning of the pandemic were like, you know, gracious to one another. Like the government was like, we're gonna help people, right? <laughs> people stopped judging people for needing like social supports and help and service and food. And, you know, people treated one another like, you know, with dignity and like respect. Humans you know, like human beings um, that, you know, are trying their best to make it through life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that kind of like grace is, grace encompasses all of that kind of way of being mm -hmm. and value system uh, for me. Mm -hmm. 
I like that answer. I like that answer. I never really thought of it in that way, but I think you're right. It is like an interconnected network of different components that leads to this output, which people typically think of as grace. And I think I'm as guilty of this as anybody. I probably take that word for granted of like what exactly it means. And I think very much in the spirit of the show, being thoughtful about that is super important. Let me ask you, because there's, there's some philosophical questions around grace that I, that I think are interesting. But before we get to that, um, kind of continuing down the thread of, of the value so I think a lot of people would listen to what you just said and, and rightfully so say, yeah, I get it. Grace, that's super important. I get why that would be a value that's so important. Um, but let me press a little bit. Like in some ways it's, it's a means to an end. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking of it wrong. But if we have grace, if I practice grace, if you do, if, if societally we all have more grace, it seems like that helps us get somewhere, some sort of version of a better world. I guess, A, is that true? Is it, is, is it a means to an end? Or maybe it is an end in and of itself. But if it is a means to an end, you know, what is it about grace that is so critical to what we're trying to get to? Like, what is that end state we're trying to get to? And how does that help us to get there? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, I think it is, I think of it as a means to an end. Um, and so I think the end for me is a world where people uh, can live their life with a sense of dignity, a sense of purpose, a sense of, deep kind of like self-worth. Mm -hmm. um, I write a lot about um, and about the concept of dignity. And there was a period of time where I like was reading everything about this idea of dignity. And, um, you know, I think that that ends up being like a more dignified world uh, in, a, in a world where people can have a more dignified existence is the, the kind of end outcome. Um, and so more concretely, when I think about, you know, the outcomes of kind of like grace would be some things like, you know, they have these um, housing first policies where, you know, you provide people who have housing insecurity with the house without all of these hoops that you got to jump through, right? Like, you know, if someone goes into, uh, you know, for social services, typically it's like, you got to check all of these boxes. You got to do this. You got to be on time. You got to fill out this paperwork. You got to have an ID. You got to, right? This is a long list. And all of those things, like, uh, there are all of these things that get in the way of, like, what the core thing the is. The core thing is, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so, you know, and it's interesting because folks who do, like, the housing first kind of, like, approaches and policy, they find that as opposed to people needing to get their self together and get their life in order and get their ducks in a row, in order to get housing, actually the housing security helps them do all of those other things yeah. and so if we go back to some of kind of those uh basic things like people want a place you know to call their own to call home and for many people that might be under you know a bridge uh, uh, underneath the underpass right so i think that um you know having a sense of place having a sense of um identity right um and an identity that's attached to um potential, positivity, things that will allow people to contribute to humanity, all of those things to me speak to a world where people can exist with dignity. Mm. Um, and in many ways, a lot of the conditions that we kind of like set up, like I mentioned in that example of like, you know, there's all of these, for some people would say seemingly small, but they just need to show up on time. But it's not, it's not easy for everybody. And in fact, a lot of, you know, people don't show up on time, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so if this person doesn't show up on time, then the question becomes, uh, do you 
treat them with grace, right? Do you give them the grace period, right? Even if that's a day or two or a week for that matter, so that they're, for whatever reason, inability to show up on time doesn't diminish the opportunity that they have to have a place where they can feel safe and secure mm. in their home, right? Mm. Which is so attached, which is so um, important in terms of kind of like, you know, human beings and what it means to be human is a lot of it is to forge identities, right? So as far as we know, humans are the only, you know, animals that forge our identities as far as we know, like, um, and so we can decide kind of like who we are and those sorts of things and have identities and have affinities with different groups and that sort of thing. And as far as we know, we don't know any other, um, you know, animals that can do that. Mm. So those identities are shaped in large part by, I would argue, how people are treated. And so if people are getting grace and gracious acts poured into them on a regular basis, um, I feel like that has the potential to cultivate a different kind of like human identity. And so if we take this to a broad level, that's kind of the society um, where we treat one another in that kind of way um, and really have a value orientation towards people mm. and people as human beings who have tremendous potential um, as opposed to you know a thing-oriented society. Mm -hmm. um, if we thought about our value orientation as people-oriented, then um, that will be the world that I would love to see as opposed to a material and thing orientation, but a relational and human orientation is what I think the end goal of things like grace um, would kind of like lead oh, us wow, to have what it looks like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, so this is this is, this is is really good because I think getting into some of this is hopefully super insightful learning. We, we figure stuff out. So let me, let me dig into some of this and, and share a little. So, uh, being totally candid, as you're explaining it, when you were given that example and that first example of saying, hey, if somebody has an issue with housing or homelessness, like let's let's give them a house. It's such a strange phenomenon. And again, just being totally transparent, there's a part of me that hears that and says, of course, like, yeah, give somebody like, if, like people should have houses, of course, like let's be human and give people houses. But there's another part of me that if I want to be give myself some grace, maybe I'd say it's like a subconscious part that's just ingrained in me. I'm probably giving myself too much credit because I've probably been somewhat thoughtful that like almost constricts, as you say it, and reacts and is like, well, just giving away a house. They're like, we can't just give. But what, what's the situation? How do we know that person does all the things exactly you're trying to combat with grace, right? It's just it's somewhat it feels natural in us. I don't think it is necessarily natural, but it, it comes off that way. And I think there's a lot of people who would, who would relate to that and say like, listen, I love people. I love the idea of grace, but it's in that spirit. We have to protect people. So we have to be careful. We have to make people make sure they're qualified to get all this stuff. And it's a really weird thing though, because exactly as you articulated, as you start to do that in the name of protecting people, you start to lose the essence of what it is that you're even trying to do. You're trying to help, you care about people and somehow you're willing to hurt or, or put other people in a tougher spot to protect other people. And it starts to get really convoluted and messy and all the bad things that exactly you're articulating. So I totally agree with, with all the stuff you're saying. I'm curious, what's your take on that though? Cause that kind of gets a little bit to that philosophy of grace where some people think, but there's danger there, right? There's this, this pessimistic, cynical mindset that says, but people are going to exploit it or somebody's going to take advantage and we have to be protective of it. So yeah, right. grace is nice, but it can't be the top. The top has to be looking out, whatever it is, right? That you would yeah, say. Security or safety. Security, whatever yeah. people yeah. want to say it is. How do you think about that? Is there anything to that? Yeah. Is there any validity? Like, how do we work through that? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I do think that, uh, I mean, I think you make a really good point, which is why, you know, we started, I said that, you know, I don't always, you know, operate it because there's definitely competing values and priorities that I have. Like if, you know, I think I talk to my children about, you know, um, you know, you can't just be friendly to everybody, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Like yeah. you can do that, right? Like yeah. I do that too, right? Um, and so I think it becomes this, this challenge of like holding up, you know, multiple, sometimes seemingly competing values, like, you know, safety um, or feeling secure um, and those sorts of things. And so I think that those are also important to consider, but I do think that when operate, and I, and I do think that operating in a spirit of grace leaves one vulnerable. Um, to all different sorts of things, whether that's at a very small level, like, um, you know, you let your sibling borrow something that was really important to you because you felt they might have, you you know, needed it. And I don't know, maybe it was your favorite shirt. They were going yeah. on a special night or whatever. <laughs> they come back and it's ruined or something. You know what I mean? Like, what? <laughs> so, I mean, uh, so, yeah, so there is this potential um, for for harm, right? I guess it can feel and is in a way dangerous in terms of the vulner of how vulnerable we vulnerable we become when we act with grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's also the possibility that if people aren't reciprocating in a way that you can be taken advantage of. So all of those things are very real. I think that the, um, I think my response to though, if uh, recognizing all of that is that giving ourselves is it almost my experience has been that if we operate in a spirit of for example safety security it, it kind of like compounds yeah. and you keep operating with that right and so i feel like that's almost a um a default mm-hmm. especially in a society with so much class differentiation mm-hmm. um in a capitalist society like there's i think that that safety and security for especially for property, um, but also, you know, for our physical selves, for, you know, our bodies and, you know, our minds. I think those things come, I think we're socialized very early. And also there's a natural tendency to like hold dear, hold those things dear. But this is why I think that something or concept like grace is uniquely distinct for humans. Because those other things, I think, you know, if you think about, you know, whether it's like tiger cubs or whatever, like their whole existence is based on safety, fear, and the whole ecosystem, all of the other animals are operating on like either you're afraid and I won't get, you know, so this is fear. And so I think that the thing that makes us uniquely human is that we can counter that um, and that we can make a conscious decision to operate in a way that does not bring us down to our base kind of like animal instincts, mm. which is what I think is different, but also kind of like the challenge, right? Yeah. Because you fight, flight, you know, those sorts of things, but there's other kind of like ways that, you know, people can be. I remember this was years ago. There was, um, there was, a, uh, there was a man who killed some people with a knife in Europe. I can't remember where it was. It was, it was something happening. And I remember watching this news show and this guy had killed some people and a woman 
walked out, walked out to him and said, I just, I want to hear you. Mm. You know, mm. I, I, you know, I want to hear you. And he put down a knife and he started talking. Mm. Um, there's also, um, I can't, I think there was this uh, book that I read and I, I'm, I wish I could remember the name of it, but the introduction of the book was about how somebody broke the script. There was a, a you know, someone who broke into someone's house and they were going to like rob the house. And the person said, if you're in my house, you're a guest in my house. Sit down with me. You can have whatever you want this year, but sit down and have some food with me real quick. Right. Person sits down. The person who had broken into the house sits down and then they talk and the person got up, you know, after they had this brief conversation and just left. Um, I'm also thinking about, um, so it's, it's those kind of things yeah. that, uh, that are tough, but in a world with so much inequity, so much racism, you know, it's, it's very difficult. I remember uh, in, at, during the uh, George Floyd uprisings in 2020, there's a restaurant that's down to about two blocks from my house here in Chicago, and there was a person who would on a regular basis you know order food and everything and so we had a lot of kind of like you know um looting a lot of the stores were broken into and so a lot of the business owners on this commercial thoroughfare went into their businesses right to you know make sure nobody broke in and it was just one very heartbreaking story where a guy who the owners knew that were frequent their restaurant went in and robbed the place and he said i'm sorry but I really need the money. Mm. And they just gave him the money, but they were heartbroken because this was a regular customer who they had. But it, it gets to a point where like in, in a society where, you know, how I thought about it was like, wow, like what was going on with this person? How much indignity and grace has he experienced in life to make him go and rob the people who he regularly buys food from mm. and say, I'm sorry, but I really need the money. Mm. And just really use this, this moment is an opportunity to figure out like, how can I have these needs met? They clearly have gone unmet. Mm. So mm. I just think that the difference is, is that like grace to me would exemplify one of the best, some of the best ways we can exemplify that we are human beings. Mm. Um, so I think that would be my answer, which yeah. is not, which doesn't make it easy. You know what I'm well, saying? Well, that's it, right? You just hit like, I think for so many people, when we, think of positive values like grace or even some of the other aspects you said empathy compassion for some reason for, for many people there's this sentiment that it should feel easy it should all be nice and like maybe sometimes like we see it on tv where like somebody exhibits grace and everything's beautiful and it all works out nicely in the end we all have that kind of fantasy or, or or vision of it but i think what you're articulating which i think is so true but also what makes it so hard is like it's almost I don't want to say like, I'll say it maybe bluntly, like it's almost more of a numbers game. Like it's this trust that like from a portfolio perspective, if we all do this, we're going to be better off. Mm -hmm. If we don't do it, we're going to be worse off right now. If you do it individually, you might have some bad situations with it. it may not play out for you. Somebody might not reciprocate. It might not go exactly. as you need. Maybe that woman goes to that man and says, Hey, I just want to hear you. And he stabs her in one instance. That, that, that happens, right? That right. stuff does happen. Yeah. But I think what you're articulating, I think there's a deep logic to it too, is like, 
if we're always acting from a place of safety, security, you know, not showing grace and protecting our own, whatever it is, like, it's so easy for that to devolve into something that's really ugly, which we see in the world today in many instances. Yeah. If you act from a place of grace, if you act from that place of humanity, which says, no matter what the horrible thing that's happening here right now, I want my next action, my next decision to be thinking of everybody involved as human. And what can I do that's best in that regard? Again, it may not help you in the short term. It may turn bad in some ways, but netting it out, that's got to be a better way to go. But as you said, it's just hard because people have to be willing to place a bet to some extent, right? It's a little bit of a leap of faith that when I show that grace to this person, it's going to benefit society in some way. And I think for some people, either because of how they've been ingrained or how they've been raised or just different life experiences, they feel like, nope, I'm never going to go over to that guy with the knife and ask him, you know, hey, I just want to hear you. Like that's fundamentally, I see the world completely differently and I'll never do that. Yeah. And it's hard for me to judge that person because I understand the logic, but I just don't think the math checks out, if you will, on that approach right. to life. Right? right, right, right. Yeah, well, you know, and the other thing is that the safety and security, if you're operating from those values, it doesn't necessarily leave you at a better place either. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm that's saying? True. A lot of times it's an illusion of safety or security. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. It doesn't necessarily. So yeah. that's the other part of it too. But again, I think that that goes back to kind of more of the, the instinct that this is what we should be doing, right? That's kind of like the, you know, the path that we're kind of like on, that we're socialized on. I also think there's a natural tendency for that, right? Um, and so, but I think again, if I think about like, what does it mean to be, you know, a human being that just exemplifies like, you know, and when I think about those people, I'm thinking about people who were able to exemplify you know, a tremendous amount of grace, you know, we're talking like, you know, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, right? Like, these people are like, wow, like, you know, you're walking out into the world every day. And I mean, I think it's why we hold these people in such high regard is because, you know, when you talked about it as a numbers game, they were able to have their numbers be really high and on a really broad scale, right? Like, um, and so I think that those sorts of, people were able to tap into a different level um, and operate in a different way. One of the the, um, books that I love is one that Martin Luther King carried with him all the time uh, by Howard Thurman. Mm. Uh, And Howard Thurman wrote this book called Jesus and the Disinherited. And the beginning of the book, um, Howard Thurman writes about how he learned about the nonviolence approach from Gandhi. And that's how and Martin Luther King learned about nonviolence through Howard Thurman mm-hmm. and Howard Thurman writes about it. And so he studied under Howard Thurman and their dads knew each other. They were friends and Howard Thurman was at Morehouse. He was a professor at Morehouse when, when Martin Luther King Jr. was there. Um, but, you know, the way that I read about like, you know, Howard Thurman and uh, read about and have studied how Gandhi exemplified like grace. I mean, like, it's a whole nother level, you know, yeah. it's, um, you know, you, it's, you know, you, you can, you should to reconcile and to transform the human spirit, live with your enemy and eat from your enemies, eat from the same plate as your enemy, right? That's a different value orientation than war. Both of those have the potential to be transformative for societies, but one of them transforms into a way that devolves into more hate and fear. And the other one doesn't necessarily um, get you to 
a better place, but it does not operate in the spirit of kind of like fear and devolving into like, you know, more kind of like fear and chaos, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, and in fact, how I think about it is that many of those people are people who are assassinated because the value system is such a tremendous threat yeah. to the, exist- the way the world exists. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, because the way you're explaining it, and, and I, I very much agree with this. I've thought about something similar before, but I love the way you're articulating it. It's like, it's unnatural if you want to think of it in those terms. It's an unnatural way to function given our evolution and our and our history as, as a human species to say, I'm going to... I'm going to be put, make myself intentionally that vulnerable. I'm going to exhibit this degree of grace because it, it does, it makes you vulnerable. It puts you at risk. And it's almost like our programming is completely against that. It takes almost quite literally an evolution of humanity to, to change that. And, and it's, as you said, it's, it's almost as if we have this responsibility because we have developed consciousness and we've become so sophisticated intellectually that we should figure that out. And if you zoom way out and look at the timeline, you could maybe start to see the trajectory moving right where it's like, yeah, we are starting to figure it out. The question I have, the concern I have is, and I'm curious your take is like, all right, but now we zoom back into 2022 and, you know, mm-hmm. we're probably roughly around the same age. What's the hope or the optimism that at scale for society, people can get there. They can make that evolution. They could accept that amount of grace in their life and vulnerability. Cause that's what I worry about. There's obviously lots of examples of people doing it. And I think we're moving in the right direction, but somebody could be cynical and say to get humanity at scale, to change our human nature and to change how we function is impossible now i hope that's not true obviously i hope it's not but do you ever like have days where you're like shit man (laughs) i don't know i'm sure there's plenty right obviously yeah for sure i mean hey you know like yeah i mean i do sometimes i even though you know i said this is the value that i you know hold you know so near and dear uh i mean i don't know um how um how it will look to engage this as a way, as a value that kind of like orients our relationships with one another, especially if we think about it as at the individual level. I mean, my thinking is that this needs to be a value that's um, integrated into, you know, social systems, institutions. Um, I think that that's the only way that, you know, you get a, you know, that you, you know, can abolish the prison industrial complex, right? It it, it takes a whole different kind of value orientation. But I don't think that individual humans or small groups of humans can actually facilitate that kind of transformational kind of like change. I think that it has to be at a systems level. I think it has to be a decision that at a systems level, this is going to be different. And it would have to be something that would look like abolition, right? It would be Something that looks like abolishing, you know, abolishing slavery, you know, it created a new social order, a whole new social order that um, require and ask people to operate and think of people's humanity in a fundamentally different way. So I think there's probably, you know, some kind of like, you know, a large scale kind of like social, you know, change that would have to happen for, um, for that kind of, for there to be. And so a way, the kind of way that I think about it is like, yes, there can be individual people who are trying to operate with grace, but the there's like little cracks. But I mean, we're talking about um, there having to be a major opening in a social system 
to create the kind of space for a new value orientation to actually emerge within that system. And so if you think about it, like, you know, if it's a, the forest and there's trees, right? If, if the forest burns down, then the sun can get down to the floor, which creates the opportunity for new kinds of like life that have been seeded that are in the soil that have been there, but just have not been able to get enough sun to actually even grow and emerge. That's kind of how I think about what's required. And so that would mean something, whether it was natural, right? Like the forest burning or either people clearing the forest or doing an intentional burn mm -hmm. in order to create the space and the opportunity for that sun to come down to allow something else to grow. Mm. So that's kind of how I think about the, uh, the value piece because I do think that the safety, security, um, you know, values like uh, achievement and, mm -hmm. you know, those are all of the things that are really kind of like dominant in our society right now. If I had, so in a way, I'm kind of saying that I'm not super hopeful that it'll take root, yeah. but I think it's still worth nurturing those seeds so that if in some instance, in some kind of way, um, you know, that forest opens up where the canopy is, you know, allows the sun to reach down to the forest floor, that those seeds are there. And so I think that the, as a father, as an educator, the things that I try to, the way that I try to interact with people, and some of it is by way of example. So it might not be that I'm, you know, I'm, so in other words, if I encounter someone who I feel needs to be treated with like, you know, particular kind of grace, I'm almost doing it for that person. I'm also doing it because I want my children to see what it means to treat people with grace, right? Mm -hmm. Or if I have um, a student who I'm working with that's encountering a particular kind of issue, sometimes it's like, you know, my initial reaction is like, oh my gosh, you know, this is annoying. Like, why can't you just do X, Y, Z, you know? <laughs> and then I try to put myself into a different mind frame. But what I found over my career is that those are the things and those are the moments that end up lasting and matter the most. Um, sometimes when I don't even know. Um, so uh, one of my um, former students, when I was at um, a teaching assistant at Temple University, a good friend of mine now, uh, I, found about, I found out about this in a magazine article. He was interviewed for a magazine article. And one of the questions was is like, who is somebody who kind of influenced you or something like that? And you know, I'm reading it and he recounts it like with like pretty accurate detail, like a exchange that we had where he said that I treated him like, I think he was like late and kind of like in the back of the class. And I was like, you know, I want to, you know, talk to you, you know, I see all this potential in you. I want you to do these things, X, Y, Z. And he wrote about that as having like a profound impact on like everything he became after that. It wasn't about like the books we read, like, you know, it was about this, this person treated me this particular way. And this is how it shapes how I move forward and how I try to treat other people. And so I think that they, I think we can never underestimate the impact that those small things can have on like other individuals and communities because it kind of reverberates beyond just that one interaction. Yeah. Sometimes. And, and like I said, maybe it doesn't. Maybe the maybe it only ripples out, you know, two rings, but sometimes it might ripple out. So it's that numbers game again. Where you yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if you don't do it, if you don't, if you don't operate with those with that value orientation, then you don't create the opportunity for it. Right. There's no chance for it then. Exactly. Yeah. In that room. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think you bring up an interesting point because I think you end you ended that 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 answer kind of in a more optimistic way, which I which I agree with, by the way, that it's like, hey, we got to do our small part. We got to be the change we want to see in the world, you know, all the different things to try and exhibit that and just, you know, 
do, do our part and, and don't get discouraged by if the overall thing isn't moving as quickly as it can. But you, you brought up an interesting point in, in the beginning, you know, about more it being more like of a systems level change, right? Almost like abolition. And it made me think like that's there's an interesting philosophical question in that because like, so if you, if you imagine a scenario where you can just like wave a wand and, and fix it from a system perspective. So you didn't actually convince people on an individual level that this is the better way to be, but you've created a system where they're now just incentivized maybe more towards that. It brings up an interesting question of like, is that, are we okay with that? And by that, I mean, like, obviously it would seem like the impact of that is positive. More people are acting with grace, but I wonder like, do we need people to realize it at an individual level? So take the example of abolition, as you said, a lot of people, and, and, and I know you're familiar with this as, as many people are, like you could look at the history of, of America or the world and say like, yeah, positive story there. Abolition happened, slavery was, was ended, you know, things were moving good. We, we got to a better place because that system changed. There's obviously another cynical view to take, which says, yeah, yeah, we got rid of slavery, but we didn't change hearts and minds. We didn't impact people on an individual level and we still had all these problems. So like the philosophical question being, I think as, as, as those that make decisions that impact society, um, there's this decision to be made of like, do I just do the thing that I think is right? And, and don't worry if people kind of get it. I'm going to kind of just dictate it at a higher level and change the system and believe that the downstream impact will be positive. Or do we have to do the hard work? Does it have to be bottoms up where if it's not genuinely in the hearts of people, we don't actually have a chance. It'll just be new problems, new issues, whatever it is, unless we actually figure out how to make that evolution you've been talking about in the individual person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's both, right? Um, you know, I think that the, the top, I think that the uh, bottom up kind of like individual, you know, people making decisions is really important. I also think that the top, I mean, and if we think again about the context of the United States, yeah. like reconstruction was, I mean, the most progressive short period of time, like in the United States. I mean, this is where we saw like literacy rates. This is where we became like a mm. literate society. Mm. Um, it benefited not only formerly enslaved Africans, but also uh, white Southerners. Mm. I mean, this is where we started to just see like, you know, you know, people of color, black people in particular in the South playing a role in electoral politics, being elected to state legislatures. I mean, if you go back and look at those old pictures of like the legislatures in the South, like it's amazing. It, 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 unless something happens, we'll, it'll never look like that again, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, but the thing is, is that that systems change, uh, the abolition of slavery, the uh, era of reconstruction, the creation of the Freedmen's Bureau, all of those things gave not only formerly enslaved Africans the opportunity to learn how to read, um, to educate themselves, and to engage in kind of uh, really kind of ex- an initial exploration of what it means to be fully human on U.S. soil. The flip side is it also gave white people the opportunity to see that too. Now, that that piece of it is now the this is where people started to go back to the very base of fear, right? Because the what ended Reconstruction really was the Ku Klux Klan. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is a group of people who are not operating in grace. Mm-hmm. They're operating in their property interests. They're operating in the interests of their white skin. Mm-hmm. They believe they're entitled to certain kinds of uh, social status, uh, resources, property because of their skin. So they're invested in their skin as a material 
uh, property. They're invested in land and green as a material property. And they also wanted to, and they're double down on investments. And that is because they no longer had access to other human beings as property. And so we saw a group of people, a relatively small group, right, of people <laughs> terrorizing not only in, uh, formerly enslaved Africans, but their terrorism actually, they terrorized the entire country. So much so that people like was like you know reconstruction. Let's let's abandon it, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know, um, but then at the same time, within that same narrative, you had certain people operating with grace. Sure. Um, you know, you had uh, you know folks that came down um, to create schools. This is where we started to see you know the proliferation of like the professions of nursing, yeah. of teaching. Right, you started to see teachers' colleges. Um, emerged what they called at the time normal institutes and that sort of thing so you saw all of really the emergence of what we could call like caring professions now right where you're teaching people you're helping people get well those sorts of things really kind of emerged also within that same era so you had this interesting kind of like window of opportunity for what we now call caring professions emerge right alongside people who were more invested in kind of like security, property interests, so on and so forth, who were not operating in grace. They were operating it uh, in a very inhumane kind of like, you know, uh, the worst of humanity, right? The worst of being yeah. a human type way. Yeah. Um, and so that to me, what I would argue, uh, if we could have had something like reconstruction that was maintained for a longer period of time, and the commitment would have been to uh, mitigating the impact that like the Ku Klux Klan and Southern, you know, uh, folks in the, in the Southern and, and Northern folks too, sure, unions, sure. right? Um, it would have been, it would have been totally different. And then we saw the same logic emerge, you know, during the red summer of like 1918, you know, the red scare period of communism from 1914 to about, you know, 2025. 20, I'm not exactly sure the exact dates, but same kind of kind of like logics emerging where you had black people who you know fought wars came back with a different sense of who they were a different sense of their place in the society and then you also had people at the same time not wanting them to have jobs not wanting them to have access to resources and we see that kind of recurring um tension yeah. and conflict between values like you know uh, not values but a system that will cultivate i think more interactions that are based on grace always kind of moving and being kind of drawn back into the system that's established on fear, property interests, exploitation, all of these different sorts of things. And so I think that to me, so this is a long explanation to be saying that I think both are necessary because I don't think that uh, people can care themselves out of or be gracious ourselves out of oppressive systems. Right. And at the same time, those behaviors are really, really important. But I think that at a much broader kind of social systems level, something has to be, you know, as I think the language that you use was incentivized, or I would say maybe like cultivated, the conditions have to be there yeah. for you to be gracious, right? Well, like, for example, it would be easier to be gracious if I didn't think somebody was going to rob me with a gun. Sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's a little easier, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's a, that's, that's so a make the situation easier to allow grace to, to, to flourish. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but Absolutely. see, that's that's I, I I agree with that, but it's it's it it begs the question. I think like, what would allow grace to flourish? And 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 the concern is that 
that that human nature that that Ku Klux Klan mentality if you will like that's what's stopping grace from flourishing but that's a function of just individual humans acting like kind of where we were before right because like here here's the horrible disgusting provocative but arguably true statement that I think we have to grapple with we're going to get better right like the Ku Klux Klan everything you just said about what they did obviously goes without saying disgusting and horrible but the logic checked out for them like to them to what you're saying they thought about their value system they thought about maybe a very base level of human nature where it's just us versus them and we got to protect ours and we do what we need to do to keep our power like on a very cold horrible level that logic checks out and as long as that logic keeps checking out for enough people no matter what changes you make no matter what you do through reconstruction and system changes you're always going to have this faction of the population in whichever direction it goes that says no no no, no. like screw grace like it's about it's about me and it makes sense to them so mm. like convincing them that no the math is actually different there's a better way that's going to be more beneficial than you for you it still is going to require system changes right it's not all just touchy-feely we all love each other but to get to those system changes you you arguably need that evolution because again i think it comes back my, my wife said this to me the other day i said it before in the podcast she said you know racism is so stupid like i don't even understand it and, and my point to her was like I get what you're saying, but I think racism is smarter than we think. And I say that with all due respect, like it's been around for so long. There's something to it that makes so much sense to so many people. And we don't mm. like thinking about that as humanity. We want to think, no, no, no. We all agree it's ugly and gross. Anybody that does it, it's because they're stupid or incompetent. Like, I think there's a lot of little L logic in it that we need to work through and kind of, you know, work our way around to get to a better place. And yeah. that's where I come back to like, getting that grace to be able to flourish. How do we get people to buy into it? So the yeah. Ku Klux Klan realizes like, actually it's not worth us to do that. We'll be better off if we don't, you know? Yeah. So another well, long-winded response <laughs> to you, but. Yeah, no, I mean, I think some of it is just that, uh, you know, the different forms of power, right? So the Ku Klux Klan is powerful because they got guns. Sure. <laughs> you know, they was outnumbered numerically, yeah. Yeah. vastly outnumbered. So they got guns Yeah. and they have laws behind them that tell them they can have guns yeah. and that they can use them. And that if somebody steps literally onto their land, their property, that they can shoot them. But there was um, enough white people, arguably, right, that had guns, who had that same mandate, that could have said, like, no, 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 this isn't, just to use the words we're using here, like, this isn't grace. This isn't what's going to be best for the country. But they didn't step up and do that. Like, why did why did those not practicing grace seem to, to rise not rise. I don't want to say win out, but you know what I mean? Like, why yeah. did that, why did that allow to be happening then? Well, I mean, because they had a whole social system behind them that is premised on the premised on the idea that black people are not human beings um and so again that social system that's so ingrained i mean every piece of it every every aspect of the social system said that these people are not human beings and so and every every policy everything behind that which is why you know people were so you white people in particular white southerners in particular were so felt it was such an affront, like reconstruction was such an affront, right? Um, because they had all of the power that they needed to, so that that statement that, you know, black people are not humans was true. Mm. Um, and because they're not humans, we can treat them and do whatever we want to do with them. We can shoot them, we can rape their, we can rape women, we can sell children. We can do all of those different sorts of things. We can do medical experiments on them, right? Like whatever we want to do, right? Um, and so I think that under a different set of conditions, 
even if we think about again the abolition of slavery like the conditions are different now yeah I right? get it. because the social system is saying that like actually no you do need to treat people like they're human beings so it's it's lessened mm. the amount of like terror the dehumanization of course there's remnants of it it's still here but um it creates the conditions it creates the kind of conditions where people now that i can have a rifle too now the power is like now i have to approach this person maybe we need to be gracious like both of us have our guns but maybe i need to show a little bit more grace yeah as i'm walking over here because this person has more equal their power is on par with like my power now in terms of us having this rifle right? they got a rifle and i got a rifle yeah so, so now we got to interact differently you know if, what i mean if you cut to the heart of that is what we're saying again i'm just thinking philosophically I, I don't know if this is the right conclusion or not but like in some ways how do i want to say it like we can't trust humanity to necessarily just get there on their own so to your point about setting the conditions right like when the infrastructure is what it was when reconstruction was happening, there might've been some, for lack of a better phrase, like well-intentioned white people that are like, yeah, I'm fine with black people being human and having rights and all that. Yeah, great. Who cares? That's great. But because so much inertia was behind it, pushing them, they easily just got flipped to the side of like, okay, we'll just stick with them. Not thinking of them as humans. If we create the environment, it's like people are just flimsy. We'll go wherever the wind pushes us by and large, at least at scale. So there almost is this responsibility, which is, there's such a danger in this, but I get it where it's like, to some extent, you, you don't want to control people, but you want to influence them in that right direction that we believe, because they're probably not going to get there on their own, right? Exactly as you're articulating. Yeah. And I think that makes a lot of sense. It, it explains, I think, what you're saying about that point of like, we got to create the environment and the system for people to be their best selves, because they're not going to be their best selves naturally. Yeah. There's such a danger in that, though, because as soon as you decide, like, people kind of can't figure this out on their own, we have to help them there it opens up such a door for people to exploit, which is pretty much what happened back with slavery to begin with. So that's an interesting question too. Like if that's the answer, does that always leave us in a place where we're going to have conflict and strife? Because there's always, people are too, we're, we're too, we can't help ourselves enough. Like we rely on other people. And then the hope is that those other people are trustworthy and, you know, we're kind of in that, that dilemma. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think part of it depends on who benefits, right? So even if we think about, um, you know, if we go back to the idea of like reconstruction and you ask like what kinds of forms of power did formerly enslaved people gain access to? They gain access to the leg their, leg their state legislatures. And I mean, people were voting, right? They got access to the ballot. They got access to uh, decision-making, got access to schools and education. And all of those are forms of power. One of the things that they did not gain access to were guns. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that was the one thing that folks decided to use That's against. What we got. That's what yeah. we have. Yeah. Right. Um, they also didn't have access to land. Mm -hmm. And so if we think about Jim Crow, if we think about sharecropping and how that was reinstated, is because people didn't have that form of power. And so a lot of it is about, um, I mean, a lot of this is about like creating the kind of conditions in society that levels the playing field in terms of like power and access to power. And I think once you begin to do that, it gives people the opportunity to think about and act, think about grace as something that works in their interest. And so, because again, and it's a kind of slippery slope, like if you show up with a pistol and I show up with a pistol, it becomes a question or, 
we dealing with each other out of safety and security hmm. because either one of us could get shot or is it grace at least it raises that question if only one of us has it it's not a choice it's not even a, it's not even a question right so for me the interaction and the behaviors are important to saying like you know what both of us have these pistols and we show up mm. and we talk to each other mm. whether we talk to each other as an action out of fear or whether it was out of grace mm. at the end of the day we can walk away and say this guy didn't shoot me and you can say i didn't shoot him and we talked it out mm. Mm. that's a possibility that says well you know what i can do as a human being i can talk yeah that's the gift that humans have right it's an now yeah it's an option well, I heard you talk about this on a prior podcast. You talked about the importance of humility. And, and I think that comes in here so importantly, because just using that analogy you're given, right? Let's let's bring it back to, to, to Reconstruction and Ku Klux Klan and all that. So, so, so white people have the guns, black people don't. And what you're saying is like, if we create an even environment, now we have a better situation. Now take those white people with the guns. Humility becomes so important because I, I would imagine that some of those white people are saying, whether they're saying it consciously or not, I think the logic holds that they must be saying, I don't trust you with the guns. I don't think you're going to you're going to play right with me with the guns. I like my current position. I'm comfortable. I feel safe. I feel secure. In theory, if I give you a gun and we both have guns, it should play out the way we just said. But there's not enough humility in this case in, in those white people or whoever it might be to believe that other people can be trusted. I trust myself with the gun. I know I'll do the right thing. But if mm -hmm. I give them guns, now they have a say in it. Like I can't trust them. And that unbelievable arrogance to believe, like, I know I'm handling this the right way. I'm using my power the right way. That's the most dangerous thing because that allows you to convince yourself of like, I, I, I have to do this because I have to protect myself against them who aren't reasonable. Whoever the them might be in most cases, as we're talking about, it's black people, but it could be any different group that's, you know, marginalized or what have you. And I think that humility to do that is so important. But again, it seems like it goes against human nature. To yeah. choose humility, to choose grace when you're in a position of power almost right. seems illogical from a very base level. As you yeah. evolve more, you see the value of it, but it's right back to that same dilemma, right? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of it is just um, people in positions not having the experience, yeah. right? To uh, Because again, if you would sit down and if you were able to have that conversation, it gives you a particular human experience mm. um, and a human interaction that then becomes a template and a blueprint for how you can interact with other people. Yeah. And if you can, and, it, and like you say, if people are in positions of power, why would they, why would they try that out? And so the conditions have to be such that you try it out. Yeah. And um, then see, and then you get to see the results and that it works. It. And then you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I get that. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Dakota, as we're coming towards the end, which is going to, so there's this, there's this concept that I grapple with a ton and I'm going to ask it in a very blunt way that hopefully you, you appreciate in the spirit of what we're just talking about, but I think it's really, really important. And it ties right to the concept of grace. I think you touched on it before this, there's this idea I would say of like breaking the cycle to allow grace to actually come in because it's really the people as we're just talking about that are in that position of power that really arguably have to start the flywheel because if they show grace when they don't have to now maybe you start to create the momentum that allows us to flourish mm -hmm. and we can make a strong argument and i don't think many people would debate it that over the history of america there's been a shitload of missed opportunities where white people let's just call it what it is had an opportunity to show grace and and we didn't for various different reasons like we're talking about mm -hmm. so somebody can say okay it's got to go all the way around so let's take the ku klux klan example because now we're going to pressure test it at an extreme is that something where grace should be like 
is there a scenario where somebody should say we should show grace to the Ku Klux Klan or somebody with his like, right. Cause on the one hand I could see, of course not like, fuck that. Like they deserve nothing. Like that's right. the scum of the earth, all that. I right. could see somebody logically saying, though, like, but if grace is going to work, it's got to work in all instances and we got to exhibit it. And that's got to be it. It's got to be that person with the knife and like, hey, I just want to talk. Yeah. Then it becomes real. Like, are we willing to go that far? Are we willing yeah. to say grace? Go well, that far? you know, this is the challenge because this is where you get to, you know, Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King. Right. This is where superhero. you get to talking about yeah, superhero level. This is where you get to these it. people who, I mean, you know, because. You know, this is where you get a society that, you know, establishes a truth and reconciliation process. You know what I mean? Um, so the best human side of me says, yes, mm. that's required. Because the idea of abolition is not about, it's about abolishing social systems and structures, but it's also a transformation of human values. Mm. And so, yeah, you would have to get to a point where you work towards at least forgiveness in some kind of way. Um, and I think that even if we brought it from back then, like, you know, do we, what would, if we thought about it, what would like a truth and reconciliation process look like for, you know, Ku Klux Klan members and that sort of thing. And I mean, mind you that, you know, I grew up in South Carolina. There's, um, you know, uh, there's people whose grandparents are still alive right now that like participated in lynchings. They're sitting out there somewhere, you know what I mean? So part of the, the, part of the radical revolution of like values means that you don't forget, you never forget, but the, 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 the strength as Martin Luther King in his book, the strength to love, the strength to forgive as part of that love um, it's just, it, it, it will usher us into a radically different society and way of being with one another. And so, because what Howard Thurman argues is that without doing that, without operating with a spirit of grace, forgiveness, love, you eat away at yourself too. Right. You can't transform and become your highest self if you can't try to will yourself into forgiving people because it's, you still hold it with you too. Mm. Um, and I think that, you know, it's a very radical idea, right? I mean, even if we think about the idea of like forgiveness, it's a very, very radical idea. Um, but just on a very basic level, I think, that, and I think that this relates too to our inability to imagine a world without the prison industry that we've created in, you know, the United States, right? Okay. Because at the core of that is about, the, at the core of it is a question of what do we do to somebody who does immeasurable harm to us, our loved ones, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And right now our solution is, is that we put them away yeah. forever. Yeah. So the question is about like, what does it mean to forgive, reintegrate, restore, and better yet the abolitionist approach in thinking about it is how do we create the conditions where it vastly reduces the likelihood that they would even do harm in the first place. Now, if we go back to something very simple that we try to teach children when they're really small, as we try to teach them to say, I'm sorry, which requires humility, and we try to teach them to forgive. And as we grow older, and as we grow into the society, and we're more influenced by the society, as opposed to our families and loved ones, and perhaps our kind of like, you know, religious or spiritual institutions, 
As we go into the world, we become less likely to say, I'm sorry, less likely to forgive and so on and so forth, because the conditions around us tell us that we shouldn't do that. When you have a conflict, you should take somebody to court. When you have a problem with somebody, you should call the police so they can be punished, so on and so forth, which is very different than what we, I think we aspire to when we have our children, because we're trying to teach them about forgiveness and be, you know, saying they're sorry. And we try to tell them we're sorry. We try to forgive them if they do things. And so at this very small level, I think that as human beings, when we see a new human being come into the world, we try to convey a lot of those values of grace, of, you know, of forgiveness, of being sorry, of, you know, humility and that sort of thing. And then over time, as we are socialized into a particular kind of society, those things go away yeah. and we don't say we sorry anymore, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and we don't forgive anymore, you know, so that's the challenge. But I mean, I, I totally 100 percent. It's a challenge. And I don't know if. I don't know if in my lifetime, like what I described and what we're, you know, talking about right now is possible. I would like to hope that it, it is and that it would be. And I think that if you watch people with their little children, right, you can see really, really good human beings for, for the vast majority of people. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I, I, first of all, I think that's a, a beautiful way to end it because I think that that's the dream, right? That's what we're trying to, to get to. And I think to me, it comes back to that humility a little bit because you're right. I mean, so much of what you're saying and what you're explaining that we teach to our kids, we, we know these things to be true. Like we, we don't know anything for certain, arguably, but we know that that's what we want to teach. Those are the right values, forgiveness, compassion, empathy, grace, et cetera. But some, I, think, I think the case you're making for the conditions, how important they are to actually change people, to change society is so, so important. And I think that because... I think there's a lot of people out there in the world right now who still tell their kids about forgiveness and compassion and grace when they kiss them good night and go to bed. And when they put their own head on their pillow, they think about how important that value is. But then they move throughout the world every other minute of the day, acting from that place of security and safety and not from that place of grace. And that ability to just reflect on yourself more and be honest with yourself and be humble enough. And I think grace, where you started is like, it facilitates that. For you to truly practice grace, you have to be humble. You have to be self-reflective. You have to be thoughtful about the bet you're placing that this is the better way, the better approach for humanity. You have to think about all that. So in, in many ways, it makes the perfect case for why that value would be so critical. And I think, the, I mean, this conversation, I think is super useful for so many reasons, but that grace point, I think if nothing else, if people can just start practicing that, start testing it out a little bit more, as you said, yeah you know, maybe it doesn't change in our lifetime, but hopefully that trajectory keeps going. And maybe it does. Maybe the numbers hit out as such where it does work out. So that's got to be the hope, right? Yeah. Yeah. This was a, a really, really, really fascinating conversation. I think about this a lot. And I think I've, uh, you know, talked in like little sidebar conversations, but I appreciate you pushing me and asking these questions. It's really been a good opportunity for me to, uh, you know, just reflect and think more deeply about you know, this word that I kind of like use, you know, it's mm. like you, you go around the room and everybody's like, you know, introduce yourself and say one word that matters yeah. to you and I always say grace, you know, and, and then it stops there. So it was really good to have the opportunity to uh, really dig into it and talk about it and think about it with you. I really appreciate it. Well, that's awesome. That's maybe the greatest compliment you could give me. And, and in many ways, that's what I hope for in this show that people can, when they hear the words, 
whatever you want to say, pressure tested or thought through in this way, it means so much more to them because the words you're saying are so powerful and impactful. And I hope in some small way, this allows people to hear it that much clearer. So thank you for everything you're doing. Go ahead and appreciate your time and, and the work you do. Great. Thanks so much. I really have appreciate an awesome it. Day, man. Appreciate right. it. Take care. Bye-bye.